I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Mobile Matters is finally back this week. I am so excited. After our last episode where we chatted about mental health and taking care of yourself, it only felt fitting to really take a hiatus for Mobile Matters for a couple of weeks. But we're back now, and we've got some exciting guests lined up and some new additions to the show. In fact, we're introducing a new segment at the end of every interview called Quick Hits, where I'm asking the guest a series of rapid-fire questions about marketing. I think you're really going to love the addition, and it does result in some very humorous moments sometimes. Now, let's get to this week's guest. Today, I'm joined by Yanni Solomon. Yanni is the head of product marketing at G2, formerly G2 Crowd, the world's largest marketplace for B2B technology. He's spent a decade launching new products, partnerships, and acquisitions for Chicago's top SaaS companies, including Vibes and Power Reviews. His thought leadership on go-to-market strategy can be found in Forbes, and he's been recognized as one of the top technology product marketers by the Product Marketing Alliance, which named his team at G2 the industry's best in 2019. In this episode, Yanni and I talk a lot about how product marketing is so much more than just writing one-pagers, why you have to look past close one as your primary success metric, and how mobile marketing might be the best environment to cook up exceptional product marketers. And make sure you stick around to the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways so that you can not only think about marketing differently, but implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Yanni. I'm super excited to talk to you about all things product marketing. So before we dive into the nitty gritty of product marketing, I'd love to just level set and find out what does product marketing mean to you? Sure. Uh, that's such a, a good question. I think what makes that so interesting is because depending on who you talk to, product marketing can mean a whole number of things. Um, it really, out of all of the teams um, under the marketing family and under the marketing umbrella, whether it's demand gen, brand marketing, um, content marketing, customer marketing, uh, search marketing, um, all of those, you know, to a certain extent are, are set in terms of the KPIs and, <clears throat> excuse me, the day-to-day of people working sort of within those functions. And with product marketing, I think the, the biggest characteristic that comes out is that there is no identifiable characteristic. It is a chameleon role um, that shifts and contorts itself to fit the needs of whatever company um, it's under. And so when I think about product marketing, for example, um, within the context of G2, um, the biggest area that I was brought in to help fix and address was G2's go-to-market strategy. And so building the foundational messaging and the programs and the alignment that we need from product to marketing to sales in sequential order to roll out new capabilities to the market. But then, you know, depending on who you talk to, other product marketing teams at other organizations could be there to perhaps focus on market personas, new market entries, um, competitive analysis. And so when I think about some of the key themes that fall under that umbrella, those are definitely things that come up. Um, but certainly when I talk to product marketers at different companies that, you know, across the globe or right here in Chicago, um, their day-to-days are sometimes totally and entirely different than mine. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of times when I talk to people about product marketing, their first thought was, oh, well, I do the competitive analysis. I help with product pricing and I create data sheets. Sure. And right. And your perspective, I think, is so much different. And it's really more around, if I heard you correctly, aligning products, sales and marketing. And so your go to market strategy to sell your product makes sense for your target personas with the messaging that is actually going to attract them. Totally. It goes so much deeper than just writing one pagers. And I I can't tell you how many teams I still talk to today 
that when I talk to them about KPIs, for example, and results that they're being benchmarked against, um, I will hear, you know, we've launched this number of campaigns and we built this number of one pagers. And really that the one pagers are, you know, the thing that are probably most associated with product marketing and that those teams probably haven't been utilized to their full potential. But that's really just just one output of a variety of different things that we deliver on um, from campaign ideation at the very beginning all the way through go to market launch when the product is ready to be launched into the market. So why do you think it's so different across every organization? I mean, is it really more of a forward thinking that some organizations like G2 have just thought about it differently? Do you think it's legacy issues with how product marketing has fit or, you know, organizations trying to figure out where it belongs? What do you think is causing this kind of ideation of what product marketing should be and how it should be measured? Yeah, I, I think it's all of the above. I think the reason for all of the the nebulousness or the gray area around product marketing is because it lives at this weird and fun intersection of, of product, sales, and marketing. Uh, and it's not any of those, but at the same time, it's it's all of those. And when when I think about organizations that have really nailed product marketing in terms of its fit within the organization, the teams that it reports into, that it's structured next to, those companies have before you know they, before they've built the world's greatest product marketing organization, for example, they have aligned the exact KPIs and results that they want to see out of their product marketing team that help elevate product sales and marketing. And then they work backwards to hire the right people and fit that team within the exact context of that company that you needed to fit under in order to hit those goals. So I think the biggest mistake that I see is that we we don't start with the goals and work backwards. We rather just jump right into product marketing. And then before you know it, you have a fully ramped team that that doesn't quite have like the direction on how to launch products. And that's when you have one pagers that become the, the main KPI, right? We deliver 12 one pagers this quarter. Totally. Yeah. yeah. We, we should be doing so much more. <laughs> I know. Right. Well, and it's funny because there's so much value put on those and I just question how often they're even read yeah. by so do anyone I. that Each doesn't every work day. at your company. <laughs> right. Right. So thinking about KPIs, how do you think about those from product marketing? What are the things that you think a product marketer or a team should be measured on? Totally. And so the, the only way to get really, really close to the impact that you're driving, especially as a product marketer, is to, and I know it sounds funny, but to get really, really close to the impact that you're driving. And so I, I, I mentioned that we live at this intersection of product sales and marketing. And so the the way that I track product marketing results is end-to-end. And end-to-end nowadays has become somewhat of a buzzword in the industry. But when I talk about it within the context of our launches at G2, I quite literally mean end-to-end. And so starting at the very basis with top of funnel activity, meaning are the programs that we're generating and launching bringing in top of funnel MQLs, whether that's going to be a customer marketing MQL due to uh, an upsell campaign right, that we're specifically targeting towards customers, or for a growth marketing or a demand gen MQL, which is a net new sort of prospect that has entered our ecosystem or our lead funnel as a result of this campaign. And then what we do with that top of funnel demand, whether it be existing customers or net new prospects, is we follow that all the way down the funnel. And so what I'm looking at on a day-to-day basis is opportunities generated, um, first pitches run with the sales team, sales enablement completion so that we know that our teams are enabled and ready to hit the ground so they can start pitching these products, all the way through closed one, quite literally money in the bank that we're sourcing from those opportunities that are being sourced from that top of funnel demand. And then the biggest mistake that I see a lot of product marketing teams make is that they stop reporting at closed one, where we actually take it one step further. And this is a puzzle we're still trying to figure out at G2, but being able to track from closed one 
to product enablement is going to be the single most important thing that makes or breaks your success. Because at the end of the day, if, if you're launching products and they're resulting in closed one, and that's amazing, but you're not, you're not actually seeing those customers adopt those products. One, you, you really don't know who's quite literally using the stuff you're rolling out into market. And any revenue that you're associating or results that you're associating with those closed one deals is going to end up getting clawed back, right? It's going to be fleeting, especially if that product was never implemented. Perhaps they got stuck in sort of implementation purgatory, or certainly at the end of the year when it's time to renew, if they've never actually seen value from this product because they never used it, any results that you drove are not going to last much longer than like the next six to 12 months. So that's why it's so important to really track everything from MQLs all the way through product adoption and enablement. That's really fascinating to talk about because I really haven't heard a product marketer talk about what happens after someone buys the product. I mean, yeah, they think about features and functionality and customer enhancement requests, but in terms of like really paying the same amount of attention. So why, or how did you guys decide that that's what you need to do? Sure. You know, I came to G2 about eight months ago and it was really, it was a a once in a lifetime opportunity and that there was a total blank slate here for product marketing. And so, you know, for me, um, as, as someone who's, who's lived and breathed in, in a variety of different functions, you know, I've, I've spent several years on the marketing ops and demand gen side. I spent several years in content, obviously several years in product marketing to me coming here. This was, this was finally the opportunity that I've been, that I've been waiting for to bring all of the most important associated KPIs from those different teams together, sort of into one view. And there was, there was no better way to do that than living in product marketing in that I quite literally live at the middle of all of these teams. And if you look at the KPIs that I just reported on, whether it be top of funnel, whether it be middle of funnel opportunities or money in the bank or enablement, all of those KPIs ultimately roll into my stakeholders on the marketing side, the product side, and the sales side. Because unless they're reaching their goals, right, I, I haven't really done my job as, as their product marketing stakeholder. So all of those are quite literally meant to align to how well all three of those teams are doing so that I can then have a good idea of how well my launches are going and how well I'm, I'm supporting them and doing what they need to do. So the next question I want to ask you, which I feel like is like one of the hottest topics when you think about product marketing, which is where should it sit? Should it sit within oh, product? Should it sit within marketing, yeah. sales? And then, you know, who is actually responsible for it? And how do you handle, regardless of where you sit, working with all those teams and getting everyone on the same page? You know, it it all depends. You know, over the course of my, you know, seven years in product marketing, let me see if I can get this right. I've reported into CMOs. I've reported into VPs of demand gen, VPs of marketing. I've reported into chief product officers, uh, into CEOs. Um, and, and today at G2, I actually report into the brand team um, at G2. And so it, over the course of my career, man, what is that? Like five or six different personas of, of direct managers, right? Who've been responsible for product marketing. Um, I actually... I actually really like the reporting structure that we have at G2. It's, it's a little unusual to have product roll into brand, but what, what's nice about that is it starts, to, it starts to create this aura around our products um, as basically an extension of the G2 brand. And, mm. and that's, a, that's a really interesting way to think about the products that you're enabling. Um, and so I, I actually think that today... Um, at least with the team that we have built and the way that it's structured, it's a, it's a really fun way to report into that team. Cause it also means I have full access to the creative resources, um, and, and all of like the strong EQ signals that you need to launch products like visuals and brand and content storytelling. So it's, you know, I would say that turning product marketing into a brand extension of G2 has really helped take everything we're doing to the next level. 
So thinking about you know the role that you play in product marketing, and then we have like a separate role, right, in product management that's more feature functionality driven with a lot of times like your engineering team. How do you play with like a product management counterpart or are you doing some of that work in your current role or have you in the past? Yeah, you know, I think it depends on the company and it depends on how how strong the product management org is. You know, the way that I the way that I see it with the product management team here is that they're they're very much um, adept at driving their own roadmap and and finding sort of these needs or pain points in the market that we think we could have a technology solution for. And so, like I said, the product marketing role changes and contorts depending on where we are and like what we're dealing with. But certainly at G2, I'm finding that for me, the, the biggest consultative role that I can bring to the table is around go to market, meaning like let's align this, this tool or this feature back to the problem that we're solving and really get a good idea of who we're solving it for. And I think like what makes it so fun at G2 is that prior to joining G2, I was actually a, a customer. I was a vendor, technology vendor on G2.com. And so just, you know, six months, seven months ago, everything that we would have been building and releasing would have been sold to someone exactly like me. In fact, it was sold to me. And so what it does is it kind of builds me in as like a good litmus test, not just as a product marketer for, oh, you know, how could we, how could we launch this in a really creative and effective way? But also for me as a persona, I could bring that sort of feedback straight to the table in terms of, you know, our people, our customers really going to, going to care about this. And if not, then then what exactly is missing either with the product or the story that we could fix together? It's interesting that you say that because one of the things that I say all the time at Lumivate is like, I am the persona. I am the mobile marketer who we've, we're selling to. So if you sure. can't get my attention, we're sure. not going to get anyone else's attention. Totally. I say that all the time. <laughs> Isn't well, it fun? It's so fun being your own persona. I think it's like, it's completely opened up like, so many different avenues in, in terms of marketing and rollout. I, I like have never had so much fun marketing to myself before. Exactly. Well, and the best part about it is, you know, we'll try, we'll come up with ideas and we'll try stuff. And I always have to take a step back and say like, would I respond to this email? Cause if I wouldn't, yeah. why the hell are we sending it? Yeah. I say that all the time. And, and it's so important for all the marketers out there who do have like the, the privilege of getting to, to market to themselves, to not, you know, lose perspective and keep their feet on the ground. And, and it's important to like drink company Kool-Aid and get really excited about the stuff we're rolling out. But, but your ability to be in there is like a, an actual market and addressable persona is going to help all of your launches and all of your emails. Literally every single output should be run by you just to make sure that it's resonating in the right way. Exactly. And it's, it's so funny because I think anytime you have the opportunity to market really if you're a marketer marketing to other marketers, or even if you're marketing to consumers and you kind of fit in that target group, you know, I always tell people like, would you respond to this as a consumer? If yeah. not, why the hell are you doing it? Totally. Totally. So, so let's think a little bit about, um, how product marketing has changed in your career and where you think it needs to go. So to me, when I've you know thought about product marketing and I at different roles have had the opportunity to kind of play in that space as well, I always saw it as a lot of times in organizations I've been in, it's lived under a product. But I never saw it as a real like a strategic business driver. And I feel like in you know, probably five, seven years ago, it was always like we're gonna create data sheets, we're gonna create some PowerPoint slides, that type of stuff. 
But I think the companies that have really flipped that paradigm and said, no, product marketing is really going to be more of our go-to-market strategy yep. that's going to really weave everything together have been a lot more successful. I'm just curious for to hear your perspective on how do companies make that transition or what would you recommend to kind of say like what you've been doing is not working. No one reads your data sheets. Stop it. <laughs> and instead think about, you know, making your product marketing team really the linchpin that connects sales, marketing, and product and comes together with a strategy for all three that'll help not just your company, but really your customers. You know, I, I've often gone back and forth on whether whether the term product marketing is even the, the right word for it anymore. And like, exactly. Comes to mind to me, for me, it's like alignment marketing. And that is, mm. it's, it's our job to put everybody <clears throat> in sequential order so that we can best enable and launch these products. That means making sure that we're tying, you know, real world problems and like the right go to market strategy for product so that they know that they're building tools for the right people. Um, it's making sure that we have our messaging and our campaigns in mind to give demand gen the context that they need to literally run campaigns and market to generate the demand that they're scored on. And quite frankly, the demand that we need for our launches to be a success. And then finally, are we giving the persona work and the enablement and the context to sales so that they quite literally feel comfortable getting on the phone with another human being, right? To sell this product in. It, one of the things that I think a lot of companies miss out on is that last part you were just talking about, like the sales enablement piece. Oh, big time. Because if, right, if your sales team doesn't love what you're doing, one, like they can drink the Kool-Aid, but if they don't actually understand the product and if they can't sell it accurately, what ends up happening is the worst situation, they don't sell it. Or the second situation, which is they do sell it and they sell something that it completely does not do. Oh my God. Right. And I'm not really sure which one is worst. You know, at the end of the I, day- you know, the sales team is is going to sell the things that they're most comfortable and confident in to make their their number, right? And so exactly. for, for us product marketers, I always say like we, we have to move beyond just drafting messaging, right? And we have to be able to sell the sales team in so they feel convinced and empowered to actually go and take this and then sell it to someone else. And so we, you know, I consider myself as much a salesperson uh, as anybody else here. I just have a, a totally different target market and it happens to be internal. Well, and that's why sometimes I think people that have been in roles like yours are so well-equipped to not just train the sales team, but also to eventually move into like a sales leadership position without having a previous sales experience. Because like for me, I've never been a true sales rep. I lead sales now, but and part of the reason why I'm able to do that is because I've always been involved with sales. I've always helped train them. I've always helped on you know pitch meetings. I've helped close clients. And I've always been held accountable to the company, whether that's my department or region, hitting a number. Even if I didn't have a quota tied to me, I, I've always felt accountable. Sure. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people miss out on is like sales just, is, just isn't on the sales team. It's on all of us. Uh-huh. It, it all has to start with the sales number. Everyone's got a half skin in the game and then we have to work backwards on all of our goals. And if our goals ultimately don't line up and align into, into helping sales reach theirs, then, then we need to refocus and, and kind of like make sure that we're doing the right stuff. Right. But like, you know, at the end of the day, I think like you really hit the nail on the head in terms of sort of reinvigorating or re realigning product marketing's role within a company, because, you know, something that I've been playing around with a lot sort of as a concept is, you know, we've now reached 
um, I don't even know what to call it, critical mass in terms of product development. Like we, you know, shipping new product used to take three months or longer. Now it's done in three weeks or shorter. We even have AI writing its own code. And as a result, things are getting shipped out and developed at such a fast rate. Um, Agile worked, right, to the surprise of nobody. Um, And what we're learning now the hard way is that product teams are much more adept at at being agile and getting things done in three-week sprints than salespeople who essentially need to take in brand new information that's coming out sometimes by the week, especially if you're a G2, and then taking that information and being confident enough to go sell it into another person. Like we... We have to be able to, to crack that puzzle and, and, and make sure that our product announcements and our go-to-market doesn't turn into this essentially like a fire hose for sales in terms of yep. all of this new material that they need to take in. That, by the way, they're then, they're then, their job depends on them taking it and selling it in the right way. It's totally and overwhelming. Immediately. Yeah, right. Like, right? I mean, that's the first thing I know everyone looks at, especially senior leadership, when you launch a new product is how quickly are we selling it? Right. Everyone wants results the very next day, and that's, that's just not how the human the human brain is conditioned to take in information. Um, and so I think like this next, this next step in the evolution of product marketing is that I, you know, when I entered product, when I entered marketing or really technology in 2011, um, I entered sort of right in the middle of uh, like the, the stack wars, you know, Salesforce, Oracle, everybody yep. was buying up all of these companies and it's still happening now. But back then, oh my God, it was like every week someone was getting acquired. They were building these massive um, product and technology stacks that, that had like huge breadth and huge depth. Um, and I think at the time I was, I was blown away by how I was blown away by the vision of what they were trying to build. But in looking back at it, it really was like the largest exercise I've seen to date in feature focused selling where they were just trying, they, everybody was like cobbling together as many features and capabilities as they could. And now fast forward to 2019, almost 2020, having great technology and you know having processes to build and launch new capabilities quickly and also having the capability to build technology that that works really well as table stakes and if you put a blindfold on a lot of buyers today and called out the technology suites as some of the vendors that they're considering i bet pretty much all of them sound the same they all check the same boxes and so that's where like the data sell sheets just aren't going to do the trick anymore you know if the first battle in technology you know, at least in my career, starting in 2011, for example, was over the technology stack. The next great battle that we're going to see in software is over storytelling. Because when great tools are, are table stakes, when when fast, you know, releases for capabilities are the norm, the difference is going to be who can tell the best story that resonates with another human being in order to buy those products. And that's an important differentiation that you just said the best story that resonates with another human being, not that resonates with you who drinks the Kool-Aid right. <laughs> with someone else. Sometimes we all forget that. Totally. So speaking of the work you've done at G2, I know that you were recently named the number one product marketing team in the country. So congrats yeah. for that. Thank you. Thank you. So thinking about that, like what kind of, what does it mean to you and your team, the recognition that you're getting at such a high level for what you're doing in a different way than most companies have thought about it? Yeah, um, it it has just been crazy. Um, yeah, I think I mentioned I, I I joined G two about it was like less than eight months ago. There really wasn't a go to market plan or blueprint in place. Like there was very little um, buy in from the org. They didn't really know what to expect from product marketing, right? And so to have come in and you know our team is now a team of three, which is also pretty crazy. We're we're by far the the smallest product marketing team easily of any of any product marketing team that I've come across. It's sort of like this level of performance. Um, and just to come in and sort of see this thing built from scratch and, 
um, see us launch and, and start to enable in the way that we're doing. Um, it has been probably the, the most fun period of my entire career and such a, such a blessing and such a reward um, to see us build you know, this, this fun product marketing engine and journey together. Um, and so for, like fun facts on the data behind our team, um, I mentioned we're a three-person team. And since the start of my time, which is basically February 1st, uh, G2 product marketing has averaged, forget like thought leadership, like webinars and stuff. We've averaged one new capability release, um, a new product, a new acquisition. There were two of them in my first three months uh, every week at G2, which for a team of our size, we easily have probably the industry's most aggressive and, and, and value add um, launch cycle that I've come across ever. That's great to hear. And I, I know you said three people, it's a small team, but sometimes I feel like when you're a small team, it's kind of like the small teams are the mightiest teams Yeah, because everyone is so, there's not like these silos of like, you own this, I own this. It's all like, we're in this together. What needs to get done? Let's go. Totally. So, and we, we move, it's sort of, we move as a collective and everyone has their areas, but yeah, it's been, it's been such a fun and open and, um, such a positive process of having all three of us sort of weigh in on launches in real time and, and see things get out the door to, to great results. It's been amazing. Well, that's one of the things I love here at Lumivate too, is we have a small team and everyone's like, how do you guys do so much content? How do you do so many videos? I'm like, well, I have a team of like three <laughs> and they always totally. like, look at me like what? And I was like, I mean, it's like me, I mean, from a marketing perspective, you know, myself and two others. And then I also run, I have a sales team too, but in reality, we're doing a lot because we're all kind of like, we have a clear goals and we're yeah. all working together. And you'd be surprised if with focus, how much work a couple people can get done. Oh yeah. Everyone's sort of like hitting up at max capacity and working together. Like there's, there's no limit to what a small team that's really well aligned and has clear goals in mind can do for sure. Exactly. So before G2, um, you sure. spent like five years at Vibes and mobile marketing, and I am a mobile marketing geek yeah. and love to talk about it. So, and I know um, that you've done some really cool things in your time there. So, why don't you tell everyone about your biggest go to market highlight while you were at Vibes? Yeah. Oh, man. In, in many ways, working at a company like Vibes, it, it honed my, my go to market skills before I, I even really knew what those were. Um, and so at the time, you know, when I joined Vibes, we were, we were specializing in, in SMS. We were one of the oldest SMS vendors in the country. We had amazing customers and run plenty of programs. Um, and we were developing some mobile web capabilities, but like the sort of the big star in the sky, right, was this ability to, to build and track end-to-end -end redemption of, of, of coupons and offers, right? You know, this is something that I think the co-founders of Vibes have been delivering since 1998 through pagers, but we've seen that sort of evolve into mobile web coupons. And, and the truth is we knew that brands and retailers working with Vibes wanted to have um, this built out strategy for delivering incentives through, through mobile because it was such a, such a high conversion, right? Um, very intentional group of customers that you were marketing to. Um, but there just wasn't a good way to crack that code. Um, and so I, I can't remember what year it was. It must've been 2013, we we're sitting in the kitchen uh, and every year we would watch Apple's big keynotes, right? Because as a, as a mobile marketer, you had to keep up with the latest technology in mobile. And it was literally, it still is. It's evolving every year, new, every year. you know, new operating systems, new apps, new capabilities. It's actually, there's, there's probably no better place to, to turn yourself into an extremely agile, versatile product marketer than working in, in mobile where things like things change like the weather. That's how fast they, the industry evolves, right? And sometimes what's crazy about it is 
it like when Apple releases a new version of iOS and a beta, like they don't really tell you. They don't really tell no. you what all's in it. You have to figure it out. Yeah. And so we're training ourselves on the fly so that we can then take a story to market. It's like it, it's like the best environment to cook up really, really strong product marketers, I think. But I agree. Um, you know, they launched at the time in 2013 um, this app called Passbook, which ended up being the, the the V1 or the beta version of what later became Apple's wallet. Um, and shortly thereafter, Google launched a similar wallet app too. And almost like a collective light bulb went off at Vibes. We're like, oh, wow, this is this is a really cool way to standardize offers and loyalty cards that had never been done before. And, and you know, at the time, Apple was going to market with um, the airlines, I think were some of the first partners, mm-hmm. and then maybe some retailers and brands. Um, but my, my biggest sort of go-to-market impact on the mobile side was pulling together sort of this first generation um, really recreated the category of mobile wallet marketing, of building out offers and loyalty cards that were saved directly into consumers' phones. And there was no, there was no playbook or blueprint for this. I, I, down, I updated my iOS and I used the app myself and started to pull together messaging and storytelling and the anatomy of these wallet, you know, these, these wallet apps, right? And, and the right way to build these incentives and loyalty cards um, and ended up rolling those out. And, you know, from there, that became like a strong beta test with Vibes as customers that eventually became one of its most successful you know, tools that's still sold today. Um, and looking back on it now, I don't know if I realized at the time how much, how many different elements of product marketing were being incorporated into, into this launch of our, of our mobile wallet technology. But you know, from building out personas to building out the go-to-market plan to building out you know, quite literally like the operational docs of how to build this stuff in the wallets. Um, it was really like my first end-to-end exercise and completely rolling out a new product um, to a totally new buyer that we had at Vibes. To, with a totally new concept that people weren't used to either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most people didn't even realize that the apps were on their phones. <laughs> so there was I like know. even some some upfronts, like, you know, we, we launched, boy, like dozens of webinars and meetings just to educate our customers enough to get them to open the phone so they could, so they themselves could see the apps and be like, oh, wow, this is something we should invest in. So the amount of upfront education just to get our customers to adopt it was pretty considerable. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I feel like that's still a problem today with mobile is that there's so much that specifically in the United States, Apple has done, um, and they just do a poor job of educating the general population about it. So like last year, they put the QR reader in part of their native camera, and I still talk to people that have like no idea it's there because Apple never talked about it. So unless you're like me and pay attention, you might still be downloading a QR code reader if you wanted to read a QR code. It's a very sort of rock starry way to roll things out, right? Where you're where you're kind of just counting on people figuring it out, um, which I guess you can do, right? When you're when you're one of the biggest technology yeah. companies uh, in history, but but I agree, a lot of it is self discovery, and you know, for like all the marketers out there, especially those cutting their teeth in like highly fast paced evolving worlds like mobile, certainly now like AI, um, there are certain industries I think are going to cook up like the next generation of great product marketers, and I think it's going to be the the more nebulous or more gray area e. Um, industries like that. So thinking about mobile marketing and your career, and it's funny that you mentioned it was like early 2000, you know, 2013 ish is that the app store wasn't very old at that point, having just come out four years before, but how do you think that mobile marketing has changed in the last decade in your perspective? Sure. You know, I, I think like the biggest thing that I've seen mobile marketing move in and out of uh, are probably two key areas. One, apps. <laughs> so, you know, when we were at Vibes, we were we were talking a lot about the, 
you know, at the time, everyone wanted to spin up a dedicated app. And I think this was right at the transition when we finally moved into responsive. So everyone was able to get away from the M.dot sites. Um, yep. So that we did have like well, a, they you know, should. a more, right, they should, uh, like a more consistent experience that, that lent itself far better to mobile viewing. Um, but I've seen the industry as a whole go in and out of this idea of whether the dedicated app is really, is really something you need. Um, I, I happen to think that for like the biggest companies in the world, if you are looking to really tap into that, that really important vein of your customers, that's, that's super invested in you, wants to engage with you. An app is a great way to do that. But that said, for like the rest of your customer base, for example, that's never going to download your app or maybe doesn't even know it exists. I think the biggest area of growth and development that I've seen are the different mobile messaging channels that have emerged. So beyond just push notifications, SMS continues to be a powerhouse, but like over the top messaging, Facebook, WhatsApp, there are now so many different avenues that these brands and retailers and, and companies in general have to engage their customers through. That's been really rewarding to see everybody sort of collectively build out that messaging strategy, 90% of which happens completely outside of the app, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I'm a big proponent of like native apps should die. Um, <laughs> and I've created so many of them across in my career across the world. Sure. And I just am like, that was a huge mistake. <laughs> sure. A lot of it's a vanity app, right? Like they want to see is. their logo on, on the phone. And if you, if you only invest in that, and we always used to say this at Vibes, right? Like having an app does not give you a mobile strategy. No, but so many people think it does. Yeah, totally. It's the first thing we'd hear from customers is like, you know, do you, have you invested in a mobile marketing strategy? The first thing they would say is, oh, you know, we get, we got an app. We'd be like, oh, yep. how many downloads? You know, like 650. <laughs> and then they get excited. I'm like, but how many people still use this today? Well, I mean, we don't have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so thinking about mobile and the opportunity marketers have today, one of the things that I believe is that so many people talk about mobile, but they don't really have a true mobile strategy of how they're thinking about uniquely using the mobile device to engage with consumers. That's beyond like, oh, I want to build an app. So how do you think marketers should be thinking about mobile in today's world? Sure. Um, first and foremost, you know, if you're still living on an M dot site, we've we got to get that transitioned over. Right. Like everything should be responsive and totally seamless. Um, you know, if an app is something that you want to build out, I would say just as important as building out the app itself and making sure that's beautiful and functional, be sure to build out strong reporting and analytics so that you understand the usage behind it and be sure to invest in like a top notch push notification strategy. Because once you get those people to download these apps, you absolutely have to have a strategy to get them back in and using it. Right. That's the only way you're going to prove value back to the app. Um, I still think that there's there's much left to be desired in location. And I think that was like sort of the the, the hot button item um, when I when I ended up leaving Vibes back in like 2016. I, I don't think we're quite there yet, though. Certainly, like the integration with the wallet apps, given that you could obviously like everyone sees like the push notifications pop up when you get close to an airport and you have a you know a pass saved to your mobile wallet. I do think that there's still much work that we could do within the store experience to find a non creepy, very human way to guide people through a store using beacons and location alerts um, through mobile. So where would you say the future of mobile is headed then? Like what's next? What's something that we're not doing today that we should be doing or we will be doing in two years and don't realize? Oh man, that's, that's a really good question. You know, I, I think that the future of mobile and for me as a consumer now, it's interesting being on the other side and not being a marketer anymore. 
is still somewhere in payments. Um, and I know that I know that I talked a lot about the mobile wallet content being like the the apps and loyalty cards and boarding passes. But you know, I don't know about you, but I've been I've been using TouchPay, you know, right with Apple yep. Pay for like four years. Um, and I I still think that right now it's such a transactional offering. Um, but like, I would love to see more brands try to figure out ways to to unlock those quick transactions with Apple Pay on e-commerce rather than just in store. Like everyone's used it at Walgreens probably once or twice. I think making sure that, you know, in the same way that everyone in the industry rushed to make sure that their websites were optimized for mobile, they really wanted to get that up to speed. I think there needs to be a similar focus put on commerce brands across the web to make sure that their businesses are optimized for mobile payments in the right way. And, you know, for those who are saving mobile coupons and loyalty cards to their to their wallet apps, are they able to use those and redeem them online? Can, can you offer them like a, a similar or perhaps even even better and easier experience in, in using their phones to buy from you when it's most convenient to them. I think that's like the next big frontier. And I don't think we've cracked it yet, but I'd love to see us do that. So one of the things that we do is something I call quick hits, where I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and I just want the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. So what's one thing you wish every marketer would do? Be more human. Um, I think that for us as marketers, we do a, a really great job of leading with with strong IQ stories. They're full of structure and data and context. But but the human brain tells us that we make decisions on emotion and then we justify them using logic. And so if that's the case, I would really like to see us lead with more of an EQ approach to messaging in order to make sure that we're capturing customers rather than just like delivering kind of a bland and boring story that just causes people to keep scrolling. What's one thing you wish marketers would stop doing? I would love marketers to stop trying to make everything sound like it's the biggest, coolest, most amazing thing ever. And again, grounded in, in grounded in humanity, like the, the more powerful and the more and the bigger we try to make things sound, the less relatable they are. Uh, and so a brand that I think actually lives and breathes this really well is Drift. Every single person that you see in a Drift ad on their website, on a billboard is a real human being who uses their technology. Yeah, death to um, stock photos. Oh my God, please. We, we have amazing customers. Like let's use them and let's, let's turn them into like amazing thought leaders and, and, and visual sort of influencers for us. Why not? Exactly. What's one thing that you think every marketer needs to know? That product marketing is, is here and is a function that can actually help them. I think when, when most people think about marketing, um, demand gen is the thing that is inherently the easiest to understand. And like mm -hmm. the reason is that they're tied so closely to revenue. Right. And then when most people think about the cool CMOs that they want to be someday, you know, they think of the brand people, right. Who live and breathe the brand and just seem like, like it's like the coolest function of marketing and the most visible function of marketing that I can imagine. But, but also somewhere sandwiched in between demand gen and brand marketing is, is product marketing. And we're here to live at the center of the company so that whether you're in product or sales or in marketing, if you have a really strong function like us built out, we can connect all of the pieces at an organization and put them in sequential order so that they're aligned to deliver performance for you. So I'd love more people to ask for more and expect more out of their product marketing teams. The most frustrating thing about marketing is... Um, yeah, probably that product marketing is still flying under the radar. Like it's 2019 and I can't tell you how many t I spend every day of my career, um, trying to explain to people what product marketing does. And so I think like the more awareness that, and, and the better that, you know, people like me can help evangelize this practice, um, the better off that we're going to be, um, everyone out there deserves to have a product marketing function so they can launch their next great product. Um, so yeah, again, just like 
tooting the horn that we're here uh, and we're here to help and perform. A huge shout out to my previous guest, Ryan Bonici, for the introduction to Yanni. It was a blast having him on the show and talking in depth about product marketing and geeking out on mobile marketing together. Now let's dive into my top three takeaways from our conversation. First, can we all agree that no marketer should ever be measured based on the number of one-pagers they create? I cannot believe that anyone is still counting the number of one-pagers as a measure of success, but I know they are, and I get that they're a necessary evil. I even create them here at Lumivate, but you're kidding yourself if you really think prospects are reading them, because they're not. It's the required material you have to send them after a sales call or make available on your website to help prove that you're a real company with established products. And that's really it. No one actually reads them. So let's take a moment for all the wasted time all of us have spent on creating one pagers that no one reads but us. Okay, now let's get to what you really should care about. Goals, setting them up front. And these are goals that are not one pagers, people. And then aligning your team to those goals. So many teams seem to struggle with creating clear, measurable goals from the very beginning. And even more struggle with creating goals that are aligned between sales, marketing, and product. But this is the real linchpin to having success in any product marketing role, and honestly, any marketing role for that matter. If you can successfully align sales, marketing, and product around the same goals, then you can truly deliver exceptional results. Next, so many times we are focused on getting to close one in the B2B world, and I get it. Sales matters, and we're always thinking about hitting our quarterly and annual sales goals. But Yanni brings up such an insightful point about how close one isn't the final goal and shouldn't be the last number we're measuring. Instead, we need to be looking at product enablement and adoption. It's great to celebrate a win when you bring on a new customer, but if they never use your product and ultimately churn in a year, did the initial win even really matter? I'm not saying that we should stop measuring all aspects of the entire sales process because we need to keep doing that. But we also need to start measuring what happens once we close a deal and putting the same amount of focus on ensuring new customers start using our product and are successfully doing it. Finally, never underestimate the power of small marketing teams. You can truly accomplish so much with a small team that is highly aligned and working towards the same end goal together. Oftentimes you can accomplish way more than a team double or triple the size can accomplish. I've seen it happen on a daily basis throughout my career and Yanni's experiencing the exact same thing at G2. Yes, don't get me wrong. It's always great to have more resources, whether that's money, time, or people, but it doesn't mean that you still can't accomplish a ton with limited resources, especially people. I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit Lumivate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.